This podcast is about getting spooked for fun, and the hosts aren't associated with the attractions discussed in any way, except for all those skeletons in my closet. Some of the topics we discuss may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Welcome back to the Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell. And have you been to the movies lately, Devin? Uh, yes, I love the I love the, the the movie theater. I saw Sonic the Hedgehog the other day. What a brilliant film! All right, how would you feel if before you saw Sonic the Hedgehog, you had the opportunity to? take out a life insurance policy before the film began. I would feel as though my uh, family could rest assured that should I meet an untimely demise that they would be financially supported. Great. Why? Are you saying that something in Sonic would kill me? Well, Ooh. what about going to see The Invisible Man and having well, an appearance? Well, uh, trick question. You can't see The Invisible well, Man. Well, what if there was an Check appearance me. in the theater of an actual Invisible Man? Maybe like there a- was. Maybe there was. And you just didn't know it. Okay. Um, But so today we are going to talk about the hilarious and totally wacky world of horror movie gimmicks. And by that, I don't mean like a gimmick that is the plot of a horror movie, like how the gimmick of A Quiet Place is that the characters can't make noise or anything. These are marketing techniques or gimmicks in the real world that were used for promotion or advancement of the movie or enhancement of the movie in some way right some sort of viral marketing trick or something like that like when we talk about gimmicks gimmicks are not always bad a lot of horror movies are built on gimmicks that are very good like a plot twist is a gimmick yeah and yet like get out is one of the best horror movies of all time and it's built around a plot twist yeah yeah but we're talking about like marketing gimmicks yeah this and I'm so excited. It was such a huge thing in a uh, horror film of the 1950s and 60s and then kind of died out. And I really think we should bring it back. All right. So how would we go about bringing it back? Who who could we call? We got to start from the beginning. The, the man, the king, the man who practically invented these horror movie gimmicks, William Castle. The king and I'm the queen and you're the fool. Yeah. If he was sitting in the king chair... I would be the queen and you be the fool. Okay, great. But so we're going to talk about William Castle. Um, William Castle was a director with Columbia Pictures. He was born in 1914 and died in 1977. Um, he primarily made most of his movies in the 1950s and also was one of the producers of Rosemary's Baby. Oh, I'm sad that you, in our notes, it says produced Rosemary's Baby, which I liked <laughs> more because maybe he actually produced it. I mean, I wasn't on set. I don't know. From his loins cometh the baby of Rosemary. Um, so he uh, first fell in love with horror after seeing Bella Lugosi as Dracula in the 1924 touring play, not the movie. Oh, yes. The way we were all birthed into the theater scene, seeing a touring production of a play. Yeah, but I didn't know that Bela Lugosi played Dracula in a play and then also in the movie. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's kind of a all. Um, what's the Aaron Sorkin film? 
a few good men. I guess it's like that, but with with Dracula. Yeah. Um, he decided after seeing this, William Castle decided that he wanted to quote scare the pants off audiences for the rest of his life, and he That's I got that good. quote from his biography, which is called "Step Right Up!" Exclamation point! I'm gonna scare the pants off America, which is the best title of a book I have ever heard of in my life. Adam, we have to restart the podcast. <laughs> We have to start it back up with the new name, the best name. Step right up. I'm going to scare the pants off America. We are going to scare the pants off America. Yes, for fun. But so he uh, he met Bela Lugosi after the show and was actually recommended for the job of assistant stage manager by Lugosi uh, for the rest of the tour. So he dropped out of school at age 15 to do it and continued to work on Broadway as a stagehand and actor throughout his teens. Now, if I had known it was that easy... What the yeah. hell am I going to, to acting school for? Yeah, I lived close enough. We both lived close enough to New York City. If we could have just seen something at the Sugarloaf Playhouse and then jumped on a bus and gone on down to Manhattan. Yeah, I could be what a stage. I could be a stagehand and an actor right now and a teenager still. <laughs> and a teenager. Uh, but so and this is like if you thought he had it easy here. So eventually he just obtained Orson Welles phone number. I. As you fig- do. I couldn't figure out how, but he just got it. Um, so he called Orson Welles and persuaded him to uh, lease him the Stony, Th- Stony Creek Theater in Connecticut because um, Welles was leaving what? the theater to begin filming Citizen Kane. So okay, uh, sh- he hired a, g- a German actress named Ellen Schwanecke. I am terrible with German last names. Schwanecke. Okay. Um, and so Schwaniki. I don't maybe Ellen. So upon uh, so he hired this actress upon uh, learning that uh, under then current theater guild regulations, German born actors could only appear in plays originally performed in Germany. Okay. so he William Castle suddenly in this this pickle where he had this actress and he couldn't cast her in anything because he didn't have any German written place to work with. So right. Castle claimed he had hired her for the non-existent play Das ist nicht für Kinder, which is, it translates to not, not for, for children. children. Yeah. Castle spent the following weekend writing the play and having it translated to German. So when the Nazis sent this actress an invitation to a Munich performance, William Castle seized the opportunity for an outrageous publicity stunt. He released to the newspapers what he claimed was a telegram he had sent turning down the request, portraying his star as, quote, the girl who said no to Hitler. Uh, Okay. And then to add to all of this... Uh, he secretly vandalized his own theater with swastikas and other Nazi imagery. And the, it worked. Okay. The, the publicity stunt ensured the success of the entire run of the play, which he had written in 48 hours. This man. I don't have the word to describe <laughs> this man. He is the human embodiment of that internet post. Or I guess it might be a South Park joke originally. The step one, obtain Orson Welles. <laughs> Telephone number. <laughs> Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. <laughs> that is... You, he had me until the uh, vandalizing his own theater. Yeah. That's no good. That He gets a demerit for yeah, that don't one. Don't do that. that is, uh, that's no good. But, but... A mad lad. 
But what happened next? An absolute mad lad. So then at age 23, he was hired for Columbia Pictures. I'm currently 22. You still got time. So I yeah, got a year. Yeah, you got time. Um, so there's a couple of uh, classic William Castle gimmicks that I would like to highlight and talk about. These are, I think, mostly okay. in chronological order, but I might have goofed it up at the end. Um, so 1958, his first film, which was called Macabre, which he paid for by mortgaging his house. Um, he gave every customer that came to see the movie a certificate for a $1,000 life insurance policy from Lloyd's of London should they die of fright during the film. Okay. I think a lot of us have heard this this one. Yeah. Not, uh, you might have heard of a lot of these before. Title. Yeah. Um, so he also stationed nurses in the lobbies of the theaters with hearses parked outside just in case you thought you may not die of fright. Right. You may just be hospitalized by fright. Yeah. But that's not as catchy. No. Uh, in Come 19- and see Macabre. You may be hospitalized for a short period, it's not uh, as good. but not have to pay any out-of-pocket costs due to our <laughs> lovely National Health Service because of the fright. <laughs> so in 1959, he did another film, House on Haunted Hill, which is, you may have heard of this one. This is a pretty famous 50s horror movie, uh, which was filmed in Emerjo. And what that was is that a skeleton with red uh, lights in the eye sockets was attached to a wire that was floated over the audience in the final moments of some showings of the film because on screen there was a skeleton rising from a vat of acid and pursuing the 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 villainous wife of the Vincent Price character. I like that a lot. Kind of the spiritual predecessor of when uh, in the Tree of Life at Disney World, all the bugs crawl all over you, you know? Yeah, in, like uh, it's tough it's to, be to be a bug. bug. Yeah. Yeah, so... What a, a tidbit I really liked about this is that once word had spread about the skeleton, people would go, like kids would go and see it and then try and knock it down with candy boxes and soda cups or whatever they had. Kids are always the same. Yeah. <laughs> what, good, what a good goof. It's really fun. A, a lot of times theaters will do, uh, like nowadays, will do screenings of this movie uh, in the original Emerjo and they'll like bring out the skeleton and it's very exciting for everybody involved. That is very exciting. We should do a live show at that theater. <laughs> so uh, this one is a pretty famous one. In 1959, he did a movie called The Tingler. Uh-huh. Also my nickname in high school. <laughs> Which was filmed in Percepto. So uh, the tingler in the movie is a creature that attaches itself to the human spinal cord. And it's activated yeah. like when you're scared or when you are by fright. And it can be only it can okay. only be destroyed by screaming. And you feel it as like a vibration. So William Castle purchased military surplus airplane wing de-icers which he purchased because right. the motors vibrated and he had a crew yeah, to get the ice off of the wings. Yeah. He had a crew travel from theater to theater, attaching them to the underside of some of the seats um, because back then a movie didn't open on the same night everywhere. So he was able right. to do it in multiple theaters. So during the finale, one of the creatures, one of the tinglers gets loose in the movie theater itself. And the buzzers were activated as Vincent Price started warning the audience, scream, scream from your lives. Uh, we don't do enough direct address anymore. No, I told you this rocks. What if, what if in Avengers, Iron Man turned to the camera and said, now you have to kill Thanos, please. <laughs> but so uh, John Waters, who is a huge William Castle fan, 
I've recounted as a kid in uh, his his book, Spine Tingler, about how as a kid he would search for the seat that had the the wire, that had the, the, the vibrating thing on it so he could enjoy the full effect of the movie. As we all would. Which is the opposite of what I do when I go see It's Tough to Be a Bug, which is when I sit all the way forward <laughs> in the seat so that when the bees sting you in the back, I don't feel it. Nice, nice. That, uh, speaking of horror. I know, that, that... merits its own episode. Yeah, it does. That I remember going there, and it was t- low those many years ago. It was 2002. I was four years old, and that was the most terrifying experience I'd ever had ever in my whole entire life. I know many adults that still won't go in there. Yeah. It's quite One year scary. after, I was taken out of preschool to be told that my father was in New York City helping with the tragedy that was 9-11. Mm-hmm. Not as terrifying to me as a young child as getting bugs crawling all over me in the big tree. Childhood was a different time. <laughs> it, was, it was. So uh, in 1960, he did another movie called 13 Ghosts, which was filmed in Illusiono. I really enjoy the, the names yeah. he came up with, Percepto, Emergio, Illusiono, because it's usually just adding O to the end of yeah, something. Yeah, actually... Speaking of of new movies, that those are actually three new trolls in <laughs> Trolls World Tour. <laughs> so, uh, Illusiono was that each patron would receive a handheld ghost viewer, which was a piece of red and blue cellophane, like two different ones. So during certain like parts 3D. of the... It, it kind of like 3D. Like those colors? Yeah, it yeah. was the 3D colors, but it wasn't explicitly 3D because you would hold up either one or the other. You could see the ghosts by looking through the red cellophane and then hide them by looking through the blue cellophane. And then without the viewer, you could only like kind of see the ghosts. That is brilliant. Like, so when we talk about gimmicks, I think a lot of people dismiss them, think they're like always bad. I yeah. know in like video games, we talk about like motion controls as a, as a gimmick that are that are bad. But like gimmicks are everywhere. They're how we sell things to people. Yeah. And a gimmick like that actually takes a lot of like technical film prowess to like film sh- certain shots with certain lenses and like, oh, oh yeah, that is genius. Yeah. Um, in 1961, he had a movie called Homicidal. Um, so in that movie, and I showed you a clip of this, there was a fright I'm break. I'm obsessed with this. Yes, there was a fright break during the climax of the film where the action would stop and a timer would uh, overlay on the films uh, on the scene as the heroine is approaching the house that is harboring this killer. So the audience had 45 seconds to leave and get a full refund if they were too frightened to see the remainder of the film. Um, so... People, the, what people started doing is that people would come and sit through the whole movie and then sit through it a second time and then leave at the fright break to get their money back for the first movie. Uh, okay. So to prevent this, William Castle started having different color tickets printed for each showing, but people still right. were trying to like weasel their way into refunds, so he really went nuts. He came up with okay. Coward's Corner which was this yellow cardboard booth that was manned by some teenager who was working at the theater. Poor pimply 15-year-old. 
And so if you were in the lobby of the theater and if you wanted to leave, you had to follow these yellow footsteps up the aisle that were bathed in this yellow light. And then before you reached Coward's Corner, you crossed yellow lines with like a message stenciled on that said, cowards keep walking. You would pass a nurse who would offer you a blood pressure test. And then the whole time you were walking out of the theater, a recording was going, watch the chicken, watch him shiver in Coward's Corner. And then you would get to Coward's Corner and you had to sign a yellow card stating, I am a bona fide coward. This is actually that uh, the recording, watch the chicken, watch him shiver in Coward's Corner is actually um, that blares wherever I go. (laughs) I step on the subway and the man comes on and he goes, stand clear of the closing doors, please. And also watch the chicken, watch him shiver. Um, so in 1961, he did a movie called Mr. Sardarnicus. Um, so the audience in this film could vote on the villain's fate in a punishment poll during the climax of the movie. So William Castle would appear on the screen and explain two options. Uh, one, if the villain, Mr. Sardo- Mr. Sardonicus, gets shown mercy, or another one, if he should uh, be, or if he should die, because I think he, w- he gets poisoned in the movie. Um, so audience members were given a card uh, with a glow-in-the-dark thumb they could hold up or down to, to vote. Supposedly... Uh, no audience ever chose Mercy because apparently Sardonicus was quite evil. So the alternate ending was allegedly never screamed, screened, or some people say that it was just straight up never it filmed. Just, yeah, and it, and it, and no matter what they chose, which yeah. is also very good because that yeah. kind of gimmick is like, oh, you get butts in the seats, and then even if even if they want to see the ending that doesn't exist, they don't get to. Yeah. I I would like to think, knowing William Castle, that the other ending is filmed, like does exist. Yeah. But I would believe that it never got shown. Right. That's a lot. And then this was another one. He 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 really kind of his uh, agents and everyone who is giving him money for these movies kind of persuaded him to talk to go out of gimmicks as we moved into like the later 60s and early 70s there were a couple times they when don't he don't love fun they hate fun <laughs> there was a movie that he produced that was starring Joan Crawford where um he did no gimmicks in the last minute he had hundreds of cardboard axes printed to just give out to people in the movie theater because he couldn't like produce it without some kind of gimmick that's so good he was like that the one day he was able to get that order out was because <laughs> The person who was in charge of, like, watching him that day went on a break. <laughs> and he was like, quickly, my bodyguard is gone. My axes. Make some axes. <laughs> but I did like to, I do like to highlight that in his 1975 film, Bug, he made headlines by uh, taking out a million dollar life insurance policy for the film star, Hercules the Cockroach. <laughs> like, like a real cockroach? Yeah. Kill this cockroach and his family will get a million dollars. Kill one cockroach, make one cockroach wife and three cockroach children set for life. I think that's my favorite sentence I've ever read. A million dollar life insurance policy for the film star Achilles the Cockroach. Yeah, there's a lot of levels. The fact that it's a million dollars, it's a cockroach, the cockroach is named Hercules... The movie is called 
bug, not the bug, not <laughs> just bug. Just bug. All right. William, thank you, William Castle. Yeah, let's, he's great. Uh, let's show him the door and talk about some other people. Yeah, so their gimmicks, like I said, started to die out as William Castle's kind of type of movie making started to die out. But there are a couple notable examples of non-William Castle gimmicks. Um, so in 1968, there was a, a movie called The Mad Doctor of Blood Island. And so now this this story is a legend. I couldn't find any like concrete proof for this story, but I really like okay. it and want to believe it's true. So the film contains green monsters. So the producer, Sam Sherman, added this prologue for the Amer- uh, I don't know if it was the American release or just the wide theatrical release, where a doctor would inform the audience to drink your sample of green blood, and it is guaranteed that you can never turn into a green-blooded monster. So audiences were given this small package of green liquid when they came to the theater. So everybody okay. drank it, and then everybody got diarrhea. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. But he didn't drink it. No, it, it, there is a story that he himself became ill from drinking whatever that green oh liquid God. was. That that's so good. It, it turns out that wasn't a gimmick for the movie. It was a gimmick for a modium. <laughs> <laughs> they were pushing it on people afterwards. Yeah, I don't. I I tried to find concrete proof of that story, and I couldn't. But I would like to believe that it is real. Yeah, they had another coward's corner, but instead of the nurse inviting you to get a blood pressure test, she just had a modium for sale. Because <laughs> also, what a weird thing for someone to make up. Yeah, yeah, it's an oddly specific rumor to start. I feel like if I was involved with this movie and I was retelling this story, I'd be like, and then everybody drank the green stuff and it was great. and Everybody loved it. Everybody loved the green goo and it tasted really good. It became Nickelodeon slime and everybody loved it. <laughs> that's very good um also so one example of a gimmick that people wouldn't really think of is psycho 1960 alfred hitchcock so yeah when you saw psycho in the theaters there was no late admission permitted because the whole thing with psycho is that janet lee who is the woman that gets killed in the shower she was kind of being advertised as the film star and then she gets right. killed quite i think within the first 20 or 30 minutes of the movie if not earlier yeah incredible powerful yes incredible filmmaking incredible marketing great same thing done with in scream with drew barrymore Right. When she's killed in the first 10 minutes, everyone thought she was the star. So good. But what was the gimmick that Psycho did? Oh, yeah. Their gimmick was no late admission permitted. It doesn't sound really gimmicky, um, but it gained a lot of publicity and brought people into the theater at the time because back in the day, people would kind of just stroll into movies whenever they wanted. Right. It it seems like the, the gimmick overall was just the mythos of the movie as a whole because... Mm -hmm. That's that's the one that I think a lot of us think of. People were like running out of the theater because yeah. of how scary it was. Yeah. Like whether the gimmick was specifically no late admission or the marketing of Janet Lee or people were running out. It's just the whole movie has kind of became a gimmick in in the best way possible. Yeah, and the whole reason that Alfred Hitchcock did it was because he didn't want people to think that Janet Lee wasn't actually in the movie because they would have missed her whole thing and right. they would have been like oh I want my mummy my money back Janet Lee wasn't in this yeah and I want my mummy back 
I want my mommy back. Mommy back. <laughs> but so right, anyway, yeah, the the whole the fact that it had no late admission was what really got butts in the seats because people were like, oh, like what happens in the beginning that we can't come late? Right. Yeah, this movie has to be incredible because, which they were right. Yeah, it is incredible. So uh, there was another film in 1958 called My World Dies Screaming, which was renamed to Terror in the Haunted House eventually, which sucks because My World Dies Screaming is a way better title for a movie than Terror in the Haunted House. Yeah, I was actually going to say when you said the title how great of a title that was. Yeah, they renamed it to Terror in the Haunted House. Wow. But so that's not that wasn't the gimmick. It's just a fun fact. But uh, the gimmick was that this film used Psycho-Rama. So it, not Psycho-O, presumably because it already hit, ends in O. Right. The the hit 80s dance craze, Psycho- Psycho-Rama. So uh, Psycho-Rama would insert subliminal images for like half a second into certain frames of scary faces, right. the word death, skulls and snakes. Now, obviously, most audiences didn't catch this, but... When yeah. people found out that it was in the movie, it did add this kind of like air of intrigue around the movie. Right. It's kind of like the, uh, I mean, there are a few different things. Uh, the the one that springs to mind is uh, Fight Club again, which apparently is just a motif that I mentioned Fight Club. Yeah. Um, but Tyler Durden puts uh, frames of lewd, lewd actions in the middle of like family movies. Like <laughs> just puts, splices frames in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so we'll jump all the way to 1980 with a movie you may have heard of before called Cannibal Holocaust. I can't say I have. Well, Cannibal Holocaust is known as one of the most grotesque and, like, gory and horrifying, like, horror horror films ever. So Wow, why would that be? Yeah. With a title like <laughs> Cannibal Holocaust, how could that ever be? Thought it would be a gay oh. romp through, you know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. so Cannibal Holocaust, it, it's a, a found footage movie about a group of uh, documentarians who end up on a, a, an, an island with a native population and goes down. So the it's an Italian film. So the director, uh, the director, the t- <laughs> the director Ruggiero Dedadato had act all the actors that were playing the documentarians sign a contract stating that they would not appear in any media for a year following the film in order to make it look like real found footage because they all get killed in the movie. So people saw this and thought it was a real snuff film. So not he was charged with obscenity already because. They were right. naked people and it, it was, was really obscene. gory. But then he got charged with murder until he could prove the actors oh were alive and that it wasn't a real snuff film. Although technically it is a snuff film because they did kill live animals on set of that movie, which is disgusting and horrible, which is why I've yeah. never watched this. Yeah, don't watch. Hey, y'all, dad's back. Don't watch this movie. The most wild thing about that is that the idea of like signing a contract saying you won't appear in any media it works if your actors are unknowns, but what if you had like Chris Pratt <laughs> and Robert De Niro in this film and they just disappeared for a year after this film and they were like, I guess Robert De Niro and Chris Pratt went on this adventure <laughs> and filmed it and then died, I guess. Uh, well, 
Because Blair Witch Project did a very similar thing where, um, because right. it was a found footage movie, they hired all these unknown actors. That way people, yeah. it, it adds to the immersiveness of it being found footage so that you're not like, oh, that's not a real person. That's Chris Pratt. Of or course. Whoever. That's Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, found footage is kind of a a gimmick that brought about a whole new world of horror or cinema. Yeah, no, and that's what I wanted to go to into talking about kind of examples of modern horror slash film gimmicks because there's not may not be as many like obvious ones as like the William Castle ones, but there are I think right. a couple of things that count and found footage movies I think is a huge example. Stuff like Blair Witch Project and stuff like Paranormal Activity even. Yeah. Um, because especially when those films do things like tie-in websites or stuff like that. I know Blair Witch Project did that. And if you went, at the time, if you went on the IMDb page for Blair Witch Project, it would list all the actors as playing themselves and saying, like, missing or dead. Right. And the and the kind of uh, the ARG, augmented reality game yeah. aspect of, of films like this, where there is, like, a hunt to see what's true and what's not. Yeah. And I really like movies that kind of have this tie-in, or there are even a couple ones that uh, have, like, tie-in apps. Like, there's a lot of horror movies about, like, apps or games now that right. have those tie-in things. Yeah, and there are examples of, I, I think, the kind of gimmicks that a lot of the lay audience members would, like, write off as just gimmicks but mm-hmm. to to people who are very into horror culture i'm sure it it comes off more as like a dedicated uh desire to incorporate interesting yeah gimmicks but interesting aspects of modern culture into horror properties it's yeah that's fascinating and stuff that gets the audience involved in some way too is something right. that's a really died out and but b i think is an excellent gimmick and a fun thing to use yeah, an enhancement of of not only enjoyment, but of the horror aspect, like we talked about in Creature Feature. If you feel like you can touch it, it's scarier. Mm-hmm. If you have the actual app that's going on in the movie, part of your brain is like, oh, how neat. They're really smart for doing that. But part of you is like, what if? Yeah. What if the ghost spooky spooky ghost hand comes out of the app and kills me like in Black Mirror? It reminds me of... Um if you had the DVD for The Ring, the American version, there was a special feature on it where you could watch, like, the tape that they watch in the movie. Right. So once you once you played that tape, there was no way to stop it or pause it or exit out of it except by taking the DVD out. And then once you finished right. watching it, it would bring you back to the regular menu screen and play the sound of a phone ringing in the background, which Very I think good. is great. I, yeah, that like, that's so great. And even greater is the idea of somebody buying the ring uh not knowing what it was uh buying the ring dvd being like oh this must be a fun movie decides i'm going to check out these special features first and goes into them and plays the tape and goes well that was an odd videotape how how weird and then watches the movie (laughs) and goes wait wait a second i shouldn't have played that dang feature i miss the age of special features because nobody watches dvds anymore yeah, I mean, how else would you watch? How else would you learn the choreography to work this out from High School Musical two if the special features didn't exist on the digital deluxe d- edition? The one special features I will always cherish and always watch is on the live action Scooby Doo movie. There's a special feature that's commentary yes. from uh, Matthew Lillard, Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Linda Cardellini, 
And I remember uh, watching that so much as a kid. We need to change this podcast into a Scooby-Doo appreciation podcast. Because <laughs> there's that new movie coming out. Yeah. And I'm sad that Matt Lillard isn't playing I'm, Shaggy anymore. I'm anyway, sad about that too. But anyway. Some other, let's talk about some other gimmicks. Yeah. So one thing that I've personally never experienced but have seen in a lot of movie theaters are these D-Box movies. Right. So the, they're the ones that if you haven't heard of them, the the seats in the theater move with the film. They were first used with Fast and the Furious in 2009 and then have been not used super frequently. But I, I remember having go, gone into a lot of theaters and seeing like the Dolby Vision or the, the right. kind of the, interactive theaters like that. Yeah. And uh, D-Box is kind of, uh, if I'm correct, comes out of the like... 4D, and you actually have it here in our notes <laughs> afterwards, from the 4D, 5D experiences in theme parks. The yeah. one that springs to mind is Shrek, that in the Shrek 4D film, which you can go watch on Netflix. Yes, um, you can. Without the interactive element, but maybe just yeah, pretend your in your house. <laughs> yeah, your futon doesn't. You can you can get one of your children to shake your chair. <laughs> but that that uh, setup had a moving a moving chair. Those those things, I, I feel like, are the kinds of gimmicks that uh, most clearly draw a line from, like, William Castle, that yeah. they are, if you, if you take them out of the space, they are just gimmicks, right? They're just, like, ways to, to move you around, but in the act of, like, watching a movie while, while in this weird <laughs> moving chair, it actually amps up the immersion in such a weird conscious way like in the same way that direct address of like get out while you st- get out while you still can yeah. in old horror movies seems like it would take you out of the movie it it somehow actually takes you in like getting your butt punched while while Dwayne the Rock Johnson is driving a fast fast car yeah you're actually kind of like oh I'm in this Camaro with my friend yeah and it's neat I think there are some great examples of how these gimmicks have lived on, especially in theme parks and in attractions. Shrek's right. a great example. It's tough to be a bug is a great example. One of my favorite examples is Muppet Vision 3D in Hollywood yes. Studios at Disney World. Um, I think that has some really, really fun gimmicks that I know probably could not be employed long time in like a limited screening for a movie, but are great. Right. Some examples when they set off the cannon and it supposedly blows up the theater and they have installations on the walls that are covered by like scrims so that when they shine the light through the scrims, you see like the exposed brick and stuff as if the wall had just been punched out. And then for the next show, they just take the light away and it's just the regular wall again. Right. It's, a, it's the kind of thing that um, because of the way the industry has developed, um, like, like you talked about William Castle installing these things in the seats that would vibrate. Like, yeah. That's not possible today because there are 17 showings a day of the same film in this auditorium for this many months. And it, it's not something that could be recreated in any environment other than a theme park that shows the same thing for at least two years. Totally. But it's, yeah. Yeah. And um, on that as well, if we're talking about Muppet Vision again, one of my favorite like 
get one of my favorite things about that. And I think something that maybe theaters could employ is the part at the end of the, the film where they're doing uh, Sam the Eagles, a salute to all nations, but mostly America and chaos is ensuing. And yes, Sweetums, uh, the big brown Muppet with the big old mouth comes out and yells at the Swedish chef who's in the projection booth to stop the picture. And you see him on the screen telling him to stop. And then he exits the screen and then enters the theater and is now a part of the audience that has literally come off the screen. And it's a very simple effect, but I so much fun, especially because you see the audience recognition when suddenly it's he's right in front of you instead of just on the screen. Right. And that's something that I think that kind of trick could be done today because of the like growth of these kind of boutique movie theaters. Yeah. Like that seems like something they would do at an Alamo draft house yeah. um, during a premiere. Um, but that wouldn't happen at like your local AMC, which is sad because I'm sure some pimply 15 year old wants to go to school for acting. And it's like, please put me in the Sweetums costume. Yeah. I'll... I'll do every show. <laughs> I do Pay remember seven twenty five an hour. I do remember the AMC or the Regal in Union Square. Do you remember that movie, The Strangers? Yes. Um, I remember when that movie came out. We were like freshmen or sophomores. They did some viral marketing where they had the three people dressed like the villains from the movie in the masks, just standing on the street corner outside the theater. Yes, it was great. Yeah, which to me, as somebody who wasn't really up to date with my viral marketing, was like ah. Uh, scary people All right. those are just some scary people on the new york street got it yeah and i went back home and back to what you said about alamo draft house too i think stuff tie and stuff like that like they're doing the the cats rowdy screenings right now where you are encouraged yep. to yell things at the screen and there are games involved in dressing up and that ties in i think with the tradition of rocky horror midnight screenings right of course it and uh, how fitting that cats would become the next in line after Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I think it was inevitable. Yeah, I think we all should have expected it. The only problem is that Rocky Horror has a much smaller cast than Cats, so you need a big, big shadow cast if you're going to do a true Cats one. Is is Tim Curry in Cats? No. That's a shame. That seems like a (laughs) film that he should have been in. No, he should have stayed far away from that. Ian McKellen did that role fine. I'm a a cat. (laughs) A wonderful cat, a jellical cat. <laughs> you don't think Tim Curry would be good? I think he'd be good. I think if they had made that movie in the 80s pre-CGI and just put him in the cat costume, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, he actually, he actually, he should be every animated cat forever. I think he should have <laughs> been the cat in the hat. Um <laughs> Anyway, do you have another gimmick? Yeah, the only other one that I could uh, mention is, and this is literally a one-off example, but do you remember when the Rugrats movie came out when we were in elementary school and they had Smell-O-Vision? Rugrats Gone Wild, the film that Kevin Feige as a young boy saw and went, crossover, what if I did this with superheroes? (laughs) That's not true, but... You um, don't know, maybe it is true. Maybe it is true. He would have been like 20-something or 30-something. Um it's not the only smell of vision. No, there have been other smell of visions. That was the only one that I could ever remember seeing as a person, though. Yes, I do remember being in the theater for that. I feel like SpongeBob the movie had some smell of vision. Might have ones. I think the original Rugrats. So the original Rugrats had one, and then the Rugrats Gone Wild yeah. had like you got like three different cards. Yeah, Rugrats Gone Wild the- is the one I remember like actually doing. 
Yeah, I think that was the only film we were alive for. Yeah, but I know it definitely has been used and it was used in the age of William Castle as well. I don't think William Castle ever did the smell-o-vision thing. I think he saw other directors doing that and was like, child's play. Yeah, well, or he was like, that's a bridge too far. (laughs) (laughs) One or the other. It was either not good enough or way too much. Yeah, I think the problem with smell-o-vision for horror is that it would be like... <laughs> it would be gross. In, in comedy films, it's like, haha, smell this cheese. And there's like one fart that is like, haha, gotcha. Yeah. But in, in a horror movie, it would be like, smell this blood. <laughs> All right, now smell this animal carcass. Yeah. Yeah. But Smell the, the sharply, uh, the, the freshly sharpened metal of the knife <laughs> as it goes into a, a victim. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't like to see Smell-O-Vision for any modern horror movie. Maybe for, like, I uh, no, that would be gross. I was going to say a Smell-O-Vision for It, but no, that would be yucky still. No, that's a bad one. You did a bad one for that one. <laughs> what about for A Quiet Place and you get to smell the very good... The cornfields. They make something really good in that. No, they no, make no. The fish. Don't they make a really... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, Some Smell-O-Vision for A Quiet Place. Smell-O-Vision for... I had one and then I forgot it. Smell a vision for paranormal activity. Yes. <laughs> you smell you the smell ghost. Toby. You smell the ghost. Um, I, I think smell vision for horror as a way to make you feel safer, like in something like a quiet place where you smell the like wood of the house mm-hmm. and the the dinner they're cooking and it makes you feel yeah. safer and more at home and more immersed so that when the horror pops up and that's the thing. You have to thoughtfully execute these gimmicks yeah, you to make can't them actually just do enhance them. the experience. Right. In something like horror, you would use a gimmick to enhance immersion to make the scares scarier, mm-hmm. or you would use them to enhance the scares. But depending on the gimmick, one of those wouldn't work so well, yeah. and one of them would. Like, <laughs> smell-o-vision needs to be used to immerse. Having a, a actor in the audience... You can't have an actor in the audience to make people feel more at home. Yeah. Like if like it's always a terrible. young girl just comes into the theater and just sits. Audiences are so terrified. Audiences are so terrified of any audience participation. I don't. And any actor. Yeah. That's not on the screen. I don't know about bringing more actors into theaters for anything that's not comedy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah. Let's bring horror movie gimmicks back. Yeah, let's bring them back. I want more of them. Let's bring William Castle back to life. Bring a skeleton to your him. next showing of The Invisible Man. And or to Trolls World Tour. Or to Trolls World Tour and just chuck it towards the screen <laughs> at some at point screen, in the Anytime movie. you see a skeleton, <laughs> you just chuck it. All right. Well, that has been our episode on horror movie gimmicks. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, you can uh, review it and rate it on iTunes or any uh, podcast service that you're using. It really helps out. The best way to help us out, though, is to tell a friend who's also into horror things that you like this show, and it's a show that they should listen to. Um, Adam, could you please pimp our social media? Yes, you can follow us on Twitter at at GreatScreamPod. You can also check us out on Facebook at The Great American Scream, and you you can tweet or post about us using the hashtag TGAM. Yes, be sure to uh, suggest topics or provide feedback. We always love to hear it. And uh, we would normally thank Michael Segudo at this section, but uh, I lost its audio file, so I did the intro. So thank you to me. I would like to thank Michael Segudo anyway, if he's listening. Yeah, thank you, Michael Segudo. Just for being Uh, here. I have been 
I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And uh, go, go get spooked. Sometime. Safely. <laughs> <laughs>